We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Pack-A-Day podcast, the only Green Bay Packers-centric podcast that is 365 days a year. My name is Andy Herman. You can follow me at Scotty Sports, and I am a writer for Cheesehead TV and the sort of organizer for the Pack-A-Day podcast, if you will. You can follow us on Twitter at Pack-A-Day podcast and find us wherever you find podcasts, including Spotify, iTunes, and pretty much everywhere else. This is episode 26, and today I am joined by my usual partner in crime, Dusty Evely. Dusty, how's it going today? I'm pretty good, man. Pretty good. Excellent. Thanks so much for joining. I know you're kind of usually the Thursday guest with me when we do Thursday, so thanks so much for joining on uh, our Monday edition of the podcast. Uh, you can find Dusty at Dusty Evely on Twitter. He is a writer and podcaster for Pack to the Future, which I have to say is still the absolute best title for any of the Packers sites or podcasts. Till we get sued, brother. Till we get sued. <laughs> Don't worry about that. <laughs> and uh, today we are also joined by a very special guest, Justice Mosqueda. Justice, thank you so much for joining us today we greatly appreciate it anytime guys you guys are family so <laughs> justice we can find you on twitter at j-u-m-o-s-q correct yes sir the jew mosque 
Uh, you can find him out there. He is a editor and writer for Optimum Scouting. We're going to touch base on one of his pieces in just a moment. You can find him on the Studying the Edge podcast. When you're not listening to us, make sure to go and listen to that. You can also find him on the Quant Edge. You can follow them at the Quant Edge, where he is writing about some gambling, if you're into that sort of thing. He is the master of force players, which we may get into just a little bit later. And he's also been a contributor for Cheesehead TV as well. Uh, Justice, thanks again for joining us. Uh, tell us what you've been working on on a little bit oh I, I was telling you guys a little bit off air that my, my schedule has just kind of been a little crazy this summer but really just tr- working on the just building up optimum scouting and stuff it's a place that i wrote for probably back in like 2013 then i got a job at bleacher report and then i got an opportunity to come back as an editor and just kind of build up a little roster of writers that were trying to just kind of elevate understanding of football basically like all my pieces are kind of like they, they have a shelf life you know what i mean every piece that we have there we want to have a shelf life so like we're going to be talking about the piece i wrote about aaron Rodgers, right but the piece that I wrote about Aaron Rodgers isn't even necessarily about him. It's just kind of about how wide receivers kind of set the floor for an offense and how different passing like in the red zone is from outside of the red zone, basically, or inside scoring range versus outside scoring. range. So it's just pieces like that where I, I, th- I think it's high quality stuff that everything has to come through me. So <laughs> if I don't really care about it, then we're just not going to put it up on the site. So I'm pretty happy about what I'm doing there. No, it's awesome stuff. We're we're blessed to have you today. I'm so thankful to, that you're joining us. And, and you're absolutely correct. It is high quality stuff. You were actually the first person I ever reached out to as a guest to join the podcast, and you were gracious enough to join us. Uh, I, I want to say a couple things really quick, and I, I don't say this uh, lightly. And I'm I'm kind of first of all, when it comes to scouting players, I'm kind of an arrogant scout. I think most <laughs> scouts are. They really like picking their own guys. But there is one particular set of players that I don't even care necessarily how much I feel about them or what I feel about them, and that's edge rushers, because you are so ridiculously good at, at scouting edge rushers that even if I think very highly of someone, if you say, nope, they, they're, they're not going to be good, I'm like, yeah, Justice is probably going to be right on this. So <laughs> I definitely lean on you. I think you're one of the best in the business in that regard, and I definitely think you have just a, a really unique and creative mind when it comes to kind of the GM mind of putting together football rosters and things like that. I can't tell you how many times on Twitter you've, you've tweeted something out where I've been like, that's exactly how I think, or that's exactly how I've wanted to say something for years. And not only is that smart, but you articulated it in an amazing way as well. So I'm, I'm excited to jump into some of that stuff, including the Rogers article today. But I, I do want to ask you really quickly, I know you're an Oregon Ducks fan and you are a Packer fan as well. How did you kind of get involved with those two teams specifically? Mm, so I grew up about an hour east of Portland and was like born and raised there. I live in Portland now, but I've never like lived outside of like 60 mile radius, basically. Right. But I became a Packers fan basically because my dad wanted to troll his mother-in-law. Um, so she so she she was a Broncos fan. Right. And it was like leading up. It was it wasn't over the holidays. Because this is like the Super Bowl happens after that, right? Probably like a month after that. But she, for some reason, had visited us. And she she was a little military brat, kind of spent a lot of time in Colorado and stuff, ended up becoming a Broncos fan. Um, she came to town, and he was like, yeah, the Broncos are playing in the Super Bowl. I definitely have to, like, set my kid up to, like, troll his grandmother. This is definitely what I should do and set him up for life. He was a Falcons fan, so, like, he knew like Favre when he like he got into Favre when like Favre was for was in an, in Atlanta and then Green Bay blew up. He obviously won all those MVPs and stuff. So he was like way back in the day, kind of fan of him. So he just bought me like a Favre jersey and just like sat me next to my grandma for like an entire week. 
to troll her, and then obviously the Packers lose. So yeah, my my baptism into Packers fandom was like watching a team lose in the Super Bowl, which is supposed to be like the most excruciating thing possible. So that's just how that happened. Yeah, it was just kind of random. Yeah, I still wish we would have won that Super Bowl for sure. But if that's how we gained you as a fan, I guess there's some uh, solace in that. Have you? Been, I'm assuming you've been to a, a Packer game. I have not because my schedule is just so crazy during the season, and I coach high school football for like two or three years. So I, I've, I've tried to make it out to family night every year because family night is like right when like things start getting hectic for me. But I just haven't been able to pull the trigger yet. Yeah, so I haven't really even been in the Midwest. I've been in like Chicago's airport. And that's basically it. Well, I have a ticket with your name on it anytime you're in Green Bay. We'll make something work if you're ever up here. So if ever that happens, definitely let me know. We'll make something happen. Uh, there we go. I want to jump into edge rushers. Uh, Dusty and I were actually talking to Ben Fennel a little bit earlier this past week uh, about edge rushers, specifically Reggie Gilbert. And we know the the physical limitations that Reggie Gilbert has, but I know he's kind of one of your uh, your guys, if you will. Tell me a little bit about Reggie Gilbert, what you think he can bring to the team this year, and just your overall thoughts on him. Hey, he's got strong hands, heavy hands. He definitely is limited physically in that, like, he's never going to be a top 20 pass rusher. But we see guys all the time who are able to survive and have 15-year careers with the with the numbers that he was able to put up and stuff like that. So in terms of, like, physical limitations, I don't think that, like, Reggie Gilbert can't ever be a starter or anything like that or even a quality starter. Um, I just don't think that he's ever going to be a pro bowler, which is, like, that's fine. I'll, I'll take that. Um, Nick Perry has all the talent in the world. I don't know if he's going to get back to another pro bowl at this point. So just really he, – he's just really – Technical, knows how to use his hands well. Um, one of the big things for me, just as a guy who just watches entirely too much pass rushing tape, right, <laughs> is one of the biggest things for me is if you can play with your hands above your eyes, you can basically – that basically means that you're bending in all the right places. So, like, the relationships that your hip, ankle, and knees are taking are basically in – are set in a way where you are using leverage at its maximum capability, right, when you're playing with your hands above your eyes. And that's a thing that Reggie Gilbert did really well. Vince Beagle did that really well uh, at Wisconsin. Not so much now. Um, looks like he's playing a little lighter or something. I don't I don't really know what's going on there. But Reggie Gilbert is definitely a positive in this game, and that's kind of what it's built off of. Yeah, I thought he played with very heavy hands this last game. That was something that stood out to me. They, they seem to be even more violent than what I remember from a season ago. Dusty, I know you went back and, and kind of watched the tape again. What was your takeaway from this most recent game on Reggie Gilbert? I, I mean, honestly, nothing that I hadn't already seen or, or hadn't already thought. I mean, he's, he just, he's relentless. Like he just, he just never stops moving. He seems like he plays the angles well. He doesn't. He's got a quickness. He doesn't have the speed, but he doesn't seem to have a quickness. I, I don't know. I, I came away from it thinking this this guy should. Have, he absolutely needs to be on the team next year. I, I didn't see nothing that blew me away. I don't think, but but nothing that set me back. I'm the ex- exact same spot as I was last time we recorded, Andy. I I, I really like him. The yeah. crazy thing to me was that still it's still crazy to me that Ted Thompson passed over him to pick up Odom on waivers. And he left him on the practice squad because the guy that we're seeing right now really isn't that different from the guy we saw. I think it was like week 16, week 17, when he really started working in the rotation last year. And then the guy we saw in preseason last year who was dominating. I know I talked to uh, Mike Renner on our podcast. He works for PFF. And I think at that point, he said that Gilbert was like their fifth rated pass rusher in the preseason. And that was like that was like week three or something. So I assumed that he was just going to make the roster. But I guess with like Brooks, who isn't going to play special teams, Gilbert doesn't have the speed really to play special teams. 
Fackrell can, Beagle can when he was, you know, not hurt. I guess I would assume that the, their their train of thought probably said like Gilbert can't play on special teams. We definitely need to like practice squad him. He's not going to be active on game days if he can't play on a punt team or something like that, which I don't know, pretty ridiculous to me, but. Yeah, it was it was absolutely crazy. It's also crazy the fact that nobody tried picking him up off the practice squad, at least not that we're aware of. Uh, you know, that seems absolutely insane as well. I went back for Cheesehead TV back in May, and I wrote an article on the edge rushers, including Beagle, Fackrell, and obviously Gilbert as well. And I went back and I studied that preseason tape from a year ago. And I think the thing that now ridiculously sticks out to me about Reggie Gilbert is in very limited snaps. If I actually have a, a clip from Family Night last year that I've posted a few times now on Twitter where he built, he beats David Bakhtiari in like two steps. And then, and then in preseason, he went out and had an awesome preseason last year, had a couple sacks and pressures in preseason last year. Then in, in week 16, 17, as you mentioned, Justice, goes out and puts production on tape again. And then in two preseason games this year, he flashes immediately again. So in incredibly limited snaps, he just goes out and produces. I know some of those are against lesser offensive tackles. But again, going back to that family night snap from a season ago, that's against one of the best pass blocking tackles in football. So he continues to flash. Taking a look at the rest of the edge rushers on the team, Justice, just kind of break down a little bit. I know you were high on Beagle coming out of the draft, and you just mentioned, you know, that hasn't translated as of yet. But uh, talk a little bit maybe about him and Donerson and Fackrell and, and where you kind of see this shaping out as the, the preseason and offseason progresses. Yeah, Fackrell shouldn't be on an NFL team. That is my take, and I'll, I'll, I'll stick with that, and I'll bang that drum for like the last three years. Fackrell should not be on an NFL team. I was down at the Senior Bowl, what was that, 2016 when he was drafted probably? And some dude was asking him, because he was a former safety in high school, right? Okay. And someone asked him basically like, are you more comfortable rushing the pass or dropping into coverage? He was like, dropping into coverage. And I was like, you're not really the type of athlete who could drop into coverage, <laughs> but the fact that you don't want to go one-on-one against offensive linemen makes me very scared for your future. And, of course – Green Bay, I think they traded up in the, in the third round to pick him top 100. So great how that one turned out. As far as the other guys, so Gilbert, I, like I said, I think Gilbert's a pretty solid edge three, if nothing else. Like if yeah. something weird happens with Perry, I wouldn't really be stressing about Gilbert being like high effort motor technical guy who can like win in the run, win in the ground game, right? Beagle, just this offseason alone or this preseason alone, like he's just been really getting ragdolled. They're using him in a really weird way, though, too. So, like, this past preseason game, he's basically lining. They had him in a four-point stance as, like, a nose tackle on one third down. Then the next third down, they had him standing over the center, but, like, a yard away. And they had him spy the quarterback, and he lost the edge because a guy standing over a center isn't supposed to set the edge. But he, he lost contain on that. So they're just kind of using him in really weird ways. But at the same time, when he's going one-on-one with offensive tackles, he's kind of getting ragdolled. Like, you could see that his strength really isn't up to snuff with NFL guys, and that wasn't really something that I thought was going to happen because when you saw him go, go play against guys in the Big Ten where he was facing some of the best offensive tackles in college football, you know, he was using leverage, playing with his hands above his eyes, and just kind of like ragdolling push-pull move and all sorts of stuff on them. So I, I thought that that was going to translate a lot better than it ended up doing. Donerson is a guy who I think he's flashed a couple times, right? Like he definitely isn't a guy like, I'm forgetting his name, the California D-tackle. Yeah, Ludy's getting his ass kicked every rep, man. He's not going to make this team. But Donerson is a guy who's flashing every once in a while, probably not as consistent. Like you wouldn't mistake him for like the preseason that like Gilbert had last year or anything like that. The guy who kind of surprised me is James Hearns, the guy that they got out of Dallas. 
because he was a kind of a complimentary player, hybrid linebacker, outside linebacker for Louisville. You really, when a guy gets picked up, picked up that late, right, off of waivers, you really don't think that that guy's really going to make the team if he's an underactive free agent. Like, history just says that. But he's kind of been surprising me because every once in a while, I'm like, who's that dude wearing 40s who's, like, send the edge, edge real hard? I always assume, like, it's, like, inside linebacker or something in his turn. So we'll see if he can ever get outside of, like, reps against third-string offensive tackles who probably aren't even going to make practice squads next year. But if he, he's able to move up, I wouldn't be surprised if he made our practice squad. Yeah, here's the thing I'm worried about Fackrell. He was their number one special teams player in terms of snaps played last year. Right. Number two was Marwin Evans, who could or could not make the team. And then three, four, and five were Jeff Janis gone, Joe Thomas gone, Jake Ryan out for the year. The next three, Aaron Ripkowski probably makes the team, but maybe not a lock. Jermaine Whitehead, there's a good chance either Whitehead or Evans makes the team, maybe not both. And then Trevor Davis, who I think is going to have a really tough time making this team as well. So when you look at like the top eight-ish guys that that made you know that uh, were on special teams a year ago, Fackrell was one, and then the rest are, are may not be a factor. So I'm worried a little bit that they may keep him around just for for the fact that he played almost 84 percent of the snaps on special teams a season ago. Uh, to, to kind of finish up on edge rushers, Dusty, I'll I'll leave this one for you. Do you think there's any chance that Vince Beagle could get cut in this off you know before the season starts? Man, I don't think so. I mean, Justice kind of mentioned a lot of things I was going to say, except way, way smarter. Like he just, he just hasn't looked good, but even then, no, I, I don't think there's a chance Beagle gets cut. I think he makes it out. Uh, I, I think there's still a hope that he's going to turn it around based on, you know, they, they drafted him knowing he was kind of injured. They, they knew what they were kind of getting with him. And I think they're kind of hoping that he can turn it back around. I don't see a scenario where Beagle gets cut. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And just to, to finalize things on that, that Kyler Fackrell special teams front, one player who could potentially take that spot if he makes the team is Kendall Donerson, who has the potential to be an absolute stud on special teams as well. So something to keep an eye on, certainly there. Um, I want to transition now to your article, Justice. It's a fantastic article on Optimum Scouting. Make sure you check it out. You can find it uh, on OptimumScouting.com. It, what, what's the exact uh, title of the, the article, Justice? It is called Aaron Rodgers and How Receivers Set the Ceiling for Passing Games. Aaron Rodgers and How Receivers Set the Ceiling for Passing Games. And basically, uh, I'll try to do this justice. Uh, justice. You know, Rodgers, uh, his success inside and outside of the 10-yard line. Basically, if, I, if I'm reading this correctly, he was first in value inside the 10-yard line uh, for a long time now, including the last three years. And then outside of the 10-yard line, meaning, you know, basically from uh, their own end zone until the opposing team's 10-yard line. From 2008 to 2014, he was first in value added amongst all quarterbacks. And then in the past three years, he dipped down to 17th. Am I reading that correctly? Yeah, basically like from 2008 to 2014, his passing efficiency was the best in the league and it traveled to all spots on the field. And then since 2015, he's basically been average outside of the 10, but just extraordinary inside of the 10. So and and when you watch the film, it makes a lot of sense because he's, you know, mobility and stuff. He can buy a lot of time and compress space and he's able to put the ball everywhere. But in the middle of the field, if defensive backs are just faster than your wide receivers, period, you're not going to get these 15 yard passes like everyone else is. So that's kind of been the story in Green Bay. 
Now, I, from your article, I gleaned the fact that you put this mostly on the receivers. It, it, one, right. is that correct? And then two, are there any other factors involved, including the offense not evolving under Mike McCarthy? And two, has, has Rodgers himself digressed in any way, shape, or form that you've seen? No, I wouldn't say that he's ever that he's digressed at all. Like the same traits that you would assume would translate to success outside the 10 or what he's showing inside the 10, where it's just like immaculate ball placement, the ability to buy time, uh, just being able to get the ball off out of every angle, no matter how your body's contorted, those things are staying consistent. What isn't consistent is that his receivers just can't really win downfield like that. Um, their offense, to an extent, I would say, yeah, like they haven't evolved. They're running a bunch of ISO routes, where it's basically like you're trying to beat man-to-man coverage off of you know skill, right? Like skill, talent, like legitimately, like I'm setting up this defensive back, stacking him. And then beating him off of off of press and stuff like that. So I guess to some extent, yeah. But if you would rather do it a different way, like I don't know what else you could do with the guys that they have. Like you could run like flood concepts, right? Where you basically have your outside receiver run as deep as possible down the sideline, and then you throw underneath stuff down low. But if teams don't respect that receiver as a deep threat, then they're just not going to do it, right? It's why guys like Brandon Cooks have been basically three first round picks have been used on a guy like Brandon cooks, right? Why when Ted Ginn leaves Carolina, the Carolina offense completely dismantles and the New Orleans Saints again, become a uh, Super Bowl contender. Like those speed guys, those small guys, Tyreek Hill is another guy like that who completely rejuvenated Alex Smith to the point that he was the best deep passer last year after years of everyone saying Alex Smith is not any good at throwing deep. Right. So those small receivers, those guys who are like Z receivers who can win with speed, those guys matter a lot because they basically set everything else up. I think you see, you can see that in Los Angeles and how Robert Woods basically revived, um, Sammy Watkins basically revived Robert Woods. And I don't think a guy like Cooper Cup can exist in an offense and have the production that he did in Los Angeles without a speed receiver opening stuff up down low for him. So I don't really see how the Packers could have evolved their passing game because they have never really had that guy, right? Like their fastest guys right now, um, at least in terms of the starters, are still like Adams and Cobb. And both of those guys are probably running, you know, mid four or five fives, right? So I don't know. Like they just really don't have that deep speed. They haven't really invested in a high draft pick to get those guys. Like they've spent draft picks on speed guys like Trevor Davis and stuff like that. But if you look at the hit rate for a fourth round wide receiver, I mean, the draft basically ends after four rounds, right? Yeah. So like after after the second round, you're basically throwing darts at, at a board. You know, it's it's no coincidence that when the Packers were hemorrhaging, you know, second round, third round picks on guys like Jordy Nelson, Greg Jennings, James Jones, guys like that, why they were, they were getting a lot of production from their wide receivers. When you spend fourth round picks rather than second and third round picks on receivers, this is kind of what you get. I think one of the interesting things here is that to me, this has been something that's been abundantly obvious throughout the NFL is that you have to have a speed guy that opens up the rest of the field, specifically inside the twenties. And then the other thing that's just bonkers to me is that this offense has, as you've noted in your article, seemed pretty stale and unable to beat that kind of press man to man and, and the, Uh, you know, kind of the inability to get deep and open things up. And yet it seems that they refuse to address this when you do see other teams spending first round picks via trade, whether it be Brandon Cooks, you know, aggressive signings, whether it be Sammy Watkins or, you know, first round picks. And I'm drawing a blank right now, uh, more for the Panthers. Uh, I can't remember his first name off the top of my head. 
DJ Moore out of Maryland. Thank you. So yeah, he, you know, whether it's draft trade or free agency, other teams are sinking a ton of resources into speed guys who are going to open up the offense. And as you mentioned, Green Bay's put some fourth and fifth and sixth round picks into this, but they just haven't really put the resources into opening up the offense. And it seems to me like a, a major miscalculation of resources and talent because the offense has stayed the same and they haven't opened it up. Just kind of want to gather your thoughts on that. Yeah, I I mean, that that sounds good to me. I mean, I think I would rather have a, a veteran speed receiver rather than a guy like, you know, an Ahmad Brooks, right, as a pass rusher. Or, I mean, even at this point, like what you're seeing out of Muhammad Wilkerson, like I'd rather have a speed receiver than that at this point. I do wonder, like, what even guys are on the market right now who the Packers could make a move for this late because it's not unheard of for trades to happen this late. You know, sure. in, in today's NFL climate, I'm trying to think like the the guy I guess I would say is probably like Deshaun Jackson in Tampa because yeah, he's, he's the, available. Yeah, he's the speed receiver there, and they have Godwin, who they seem to like a lot. And then they just drafted that kid out of FCS school. I'm spacing out on his name right now, but he's getting the playing time in the preseason. He's doing pretty well too. So it wouldn't surprise me if they did something like that, or maybe they made a move for a guy like Deshaun Jackson. Maybe they do something when cuts happen, but. At this point, I just I'm just gonna assume that they have Jerome Allison and they they think that their matchup is better at tight end than it will be at Z receiver. That'll be something interesting to keep an eye on. Dusty, I know you were tweeting out some formations that Green Bay was using in the preseason that maybe they haven't used either before or at least used enough before. Any of those formations that stood out to you and anything you think could open up the offense a little bit? I mean, it's been a while, and the thing that I mean, the thing that immediately came to mind because I'm super lazy is that that's that's the kind of stuff we were seeing when Philbin was at the helm of the offense. It was yep. that, and it's a lot of the stuff I saw, you know, going through the Rams' offense last year. It's that a, a lot of times they like to spread them out. A lot of times you compress them, and then I mean, part of that we'll see some of that's the shortcomings that Justice was talking about. You get the, if you get those speed guys in there, you stretch it horizontally and vertically. You can just hit those gaps, which is exactly what the Rams did. Now, it's easier to do that when you have guys like Sammy Watkins, Robert Woods. Cooper Cup, and then you're sneaking Gurley out of the backfield than it is with Devontae Adams. And as much as I love Randall Cobb, he's he's not a speed guy. And, and these young guys, I'm not sure what you're getting out of them. But, I mean, it's it's kind of that – you're kind of looking at that compressed bring the defense in and then, and then spread them out wide, which can open gaps all over the field. So I, I, I hope we see more of that. It, I know we saw a lot of, like, the full house formation filled in. I don't recall seeing a ton of that uh, between – uh, 2011 and, and now and I don't think I saw that in the preseason but they could bring that back with some of the personnel they could have I, I think that could help open things up it's 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 better than just two wide receivers to one side one to the other I and mean, it mixes it up a little and gives you a little more opportunities uh, that maybe you don't get before so yeah I, I got excited seeing that I got I'll admit it. I got a little overly excited seeing that but, uh, <laughs> yeah it's, it's 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 a different look at something I've not seen very much out of them lately yeah, it's at least nice to see some changes and some creativity taking place. I'll definitely take that any day of the week. Lastly, Justice, on your article, one other thing I just wanted to point out. I thought you did a really nice job of pointing out the Rams and Chargers games as the really right. transition point. I was actually at that Rams game that year, and I actually have <laughs> seats in the north end zone. And before that game, before that Rams game, anyone that had really played press man-to-man against Green Bay – I should say in years prior when they had the deep threats that they needed, it was, it was game over. And I remember St. Louis at the time they were St. Louis coming up and playing press man to man, single high safety with Rodney McLeod playing very, very deep over the top. And I sat in my end zone. It was the very first series that they pulled it out. 
And I'm like, this game's over. It's absolutely over. You cannot play Aaron Rodgers in that facet. He's just going to absolutely tear you apart all day. And then the Rams just, they dominated on defense that day. And as you put in the article, they really put the the recipe together uh, on how to kind of contain that offense and, and press those receivers when they didn't have the deep threat and shut everything down underneath. They were willing to let Aaron Rodgers beat them with their legs a little bit. Green Bay, if I remember correctly, got uh, one of their classic free plays where they got somebody deep and, and took a shot on it later in the game. And I think it was like a, it was a pretty low scoring game that they won. But they were lucky to escape with a win that day. As you mentioned in the article, I think they started 6-0. and But the, the writing was already on the wall at that point, and everyone kind of stole that blueprint. So I really liked how you pointed that out as well. Yeah, that was super important. I mean, that was well, to put people back into what type of like era they were in, right? So that was when Jordy was hurt. Adams hadn't really broken out yet. So their number one wide receiver by a pretty good distance was Randall Cobb. They really didn't have any tight end threat at that point. And then I think it was either Jarrett Boykin or James Jones was working in the offense as like the third receiver, right? So that basically like it really was as simple as that where the Rams and Chargers in back-to-back weeks were just like, wait, why don't we just put our hands on these guys? Like, why don't we just jam these guys at the line? Their best receiver is Randall Cobb, and he's 5'10", and he just, like he, like I said, he runs a he runs a 4'5'5". So it's like, he's not really going to beat us deep like that. Devontae Adams really doesn't know what he's doing yet, and both James Jones and Jared Boykin run like 4'7". It's not like they're going to burn us over the top, so why don't we just put our hands on these guys? And that was kind of, I mean, that was that happened week in, week out for the next, like, 10 weeks. Yep. And there was really nothing that they could do. It was very similar to kind of what the Rams did, not this past year, but the year before when Taewon Austin was their number one receiver with Jared Goff. And then teams yep. were just like, yeah, we're just going to – like you were going to try – like you guys are just idiots. Like we're going to play man coverage and we're going to send six or seven guys up the middle and make your rookie quarterback beat us deep when you guys don't have a receiver who can beat us deep. So it just ended up becoming a sack fest and just like snowballing for, for Jared Goff just because he really had no one in that entire offense who could stretch a team deep. And that's kind of where the Packers were. I would say Cobb's a little bit better than uh, Tavon Austin, but that's basically where the Packers were in 2015. No, I agree. And I thought that was very appropriate on your end to, to point that out. All right, I'm going to get to a quick lightning round, Justice. I want to just get a couple of your real quick takes on a few different things. I know you are pro Geronimo Allison. What can he bring to the team this year, and, and how do you think he'll perform? He can catch. He can catch footballs, and that's better than most of the receivers on this team. They have a lot of receivers who can run real fast and can't catch footballs. That's why he's going to be wide receiver three on this team. It was, it was just kind of crazy that anyone expected anything more because basically there's like a five percent chance that a receiver drafted outside of the top 100 has like a 500 yard receiving year so just to assume that these rookies were going to produce immediately in my opinion was a super big stretch i always thought it was going to be allison next year hopefully someone else steps up but until then allison's the guy yeah, I think one of the interesting things there is uh, Allison and Cobb have pretty good catch rates, but Devontae Adams and Jimmy Graham and the rookie receivers all have had some pretty low catch rates, at least at some point in their career. So maybe something to keep an eye on going forward. Thoughts on just in the NFL in general, thoughts on the rookie quarterback so far? I know you do a lot of film work. What stood out to you from the rookie quarterbacks around the league? They're basically who we thought they were. So Darnold is doing stuff a lot better than I thought already. He's fixed up his footwork, so it's a lot less clunky. He just looks very natural right now. Lamar Jackson isn't there yet. We kind of assumed that that was going to happen. Baker Mayfield's crazy efficient. Surprise, surprise. Josh Allen, he's doing things. So it's not necessarily that he's doing good things. Like, he's doing very risky things, and sometimes it's 
biting him in the ass. And it's the same thing with Patrick Mahomes, right? They're doing very risky things. Sometimes it turns out well, sometimes it doesn't. Their growing pains are going to be fun. Like, I really don't know which way it's going to turn out for those two quarterbacks, but their growing pains are going to be fun. Like, it's much it's like much more interesting than watch, watching, like, Eli Manning throw four-yard slants and then, like, one goes incomplete and they punt. And then uh, Josh Rosen's kind of been hard to tell because his offensive line is so awful. I think what, I think it was the Chargers game. I think it was the Chargers that they played week one. And you, he basically could not get a pass off without someone like his offensive lineman was in his chest. So it's kind of hard to tell what Josh, Josh Rosen is even doing now. I think they said that he was going to start working with the number one soon, which is smart because how the hell are you going to evaluate this guy if he's not getting any reps with any offensive line that can block anything? So that, 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 one, that one's kind of the question mark for me at this point. Other than that, I think everyone is kind of who they are. Mason Rudolph, first pass of his first start outside the numbers, <laughs> intercepted for a pick six. Could You could see that on his tape all day at Oklahoma State. He didn't throw them because, you know, Big 12 defensive backs are playing so far off. But yeah. the whole thing, like his whole entire evaluation was just like, I don't know if his arm is big enough to be able to throw outside the numbers. And first thing, Tremont Williams sees blood, takes it to the house. So. Yeah, we found out that real quick that he, in fact, uh, is exactly what we thought he was. So two other really quick ones. I can't complete a podcast without mentioning Tim Boyle. If you had to start a game tomorrow with one of these two quarterbacks, would you rather start a game with Tim Boyle or Paxton Lynch? Give me the guy who threw like zero touchdowns and 13 interceptions at UConn. Give me Tim Boyle. Yeah, Give me Tim Boyle, whose projection just makes no sense. He shouldn't be in the NFL right now, but I don't care. Uh, it shouldn't remotely be in the NFL, but you're absolutely correct. I'm taking Tim Boyle too. And then lastly, how much is the rest of the NFL going to regret that they didn't take Harold Landry in the first round? It's so dumb, man. He should have been a top <laughs> five, 10 pick. Yeah. Everyone's going to regret it. It's ridiculous. Cause he's already, he's already flashing for the Titans. It's, it's absurd. And they really needed that guy coming off the bench. Cause they like, they drafted Kevin Dodd. Do you guys remember who he is? Kevin oh, Dodd yeah. Clemson. He, he had like two games in the playoffs and everyone thought the 25 year old who didn't put it, you know, didn't figure it out until the very, literally the postseason of his redshirt senior season um, was good. And he just wasn't good. He just played against like really bad offensive tackles who just somehow were on playoff teams. They drafted him in the second round. He didn't do anything. So then they had to get Eric Walden. They had to bring him in as the third pass rusher there. And they, you know, very, very wisely let him go. So they've kind of had that hole at, you know, that third spot for their pass rushers for like two and a half, three years, basically. So he, he, like Harold Landry was just a plug and play, easy way to get transition him into the NFL. He's going to be coming off the bench fresh. Just absolutely ridiculous. That's just unfair. Yeah, I'm just happy he's in the AFC South where he uh, can't affect the Packers too much. Dusty, any last thing you wanted to add today? No, this is not Packers related at all. I just want to say I'm really happy that Teddy Bridgewater has looked really, really good so far. I've been been rooting for that. I, I rooted against that guy for a very long time because I'm a <laughs> Kentucky guy and he played in Louisville and he just killed us the entire time he was in Louisville except for the last year. It just, the way he went out was really sad. So seeing him perform the way he's played in preseason so far, I'm happy to see he's back. He's one of those guys, I didn't know if he was going to be able to make it back. I didn't know how he would look. So that has nothing to do with anything, but put a smile on my face. No, I think that's going to be something to keep an eye on. Thoughts on if they end up trading him or, or what they do with him this uh, the, the rest of the season? I'm, I'm going to be really intrigued by that. Uh, I have no idea. I mean, it, it, <laughs> I was going to say if it was a smart franchise, which they're not, um, I would almost put Bridgewater in and give Darnold, you know, give, give him kind of a rookie year. I don't like McCown still up there, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, McCown, no. Yeah, McCown, no. He's, he's another coach. Just put him in another coach. I'd like to see Bridgewater starting um, for the Jets, and the Jets aren't going to do anything, so I guess maybe that would be trade bait. You put him in, you trade it, you see how he does for the starter. 
trade him after three or four weeks, then Darnold's your guy. You, you ease Darnold in a little bit. I wouldn't be shocked if Bridgewater's there the entire year, but I, I could see him dealt by the, uh, say if an injury happens week three, week four to a team that I think is going to be contending, I could, I could see Bridgewater getting getting somewhere. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think if if there's any injury, especially in preseason, I think you could see a redo of that Sam Bradford deal from a couple of years ago where they were able to pick up a first round pick plus in a last second trade. So that'll be something to keep an eye on as well. Really quick, a couple Packer notes around the league. Nick Perry was taken off the pup list today and sounds like he was active at practice. It wasn't an open practice, but it sounds like he was out there. So that's great news. And then they also picked up Bronson Hill, a 5'11", 220 pound running back out of Eastern Michigan. He was an undrafted free agent back in 2015, spent time with the Bills, the Bears, the Dolphins, the Saints, the Bengals, the Jaguars, the Vikings, the Cardinals. <laughs> My <laughs> goodness. In all of those times, he has carried a total for three rushes for nine yards. So he's 25 years old. It's not like he's, you know, overaged at this point. Uh, probably a camp body. He'll wear number 36 and probably get some carries with all the injuries at running back in the last two games of preseason. That's probably all we'll hear of Bronson Hill, but you never quite know. He'll at least get a shot. Dusty, thanks as always for joining, especially uh, not on your normal day. Appreciate that. Justice, thanks so much as well. Uh, always great to have you. We will gladly have you anytime you're willing to come on. I know you can follow again at J-U-M-O-S-Q, Jumosk, uh, on Twitter. You follow your writing on Optimum Scouting as well as uh, all the pieces out there have to go through you first, which is awesome. And we'll also <laughs> make sure to follow you at the Quant Edge as well. Thanks so much for joining us today, Justice. Yeah, guys, anytime. Uh, I'm going to take you up on that for sure then. Uh, also follow him on the Setting the Edge podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. Go subscribe on iTunes. If you have the extra second to like us and give us that five-star rating, we'd appreciate that as well. Thank you as always for listening. And as always, go Pack Go. Rodgers gets the snap. Blitz is on. Rodgers scrambles He's left. Got winds up. Rainbow. He's got Cobb in the 10 to the yes. To the end zone. Touchdown. And a dagger. Oh, my goodness. And an NFC North Division Championship dagger of 47 yards. Hasselback maybe changing the play of the line. Looks left and right. Takes the snap. Short drop. Quick throw. Left side. Yeah. Scrambles to his left under pressure, rolling right, escapes, right side looking, rainbows high and deep into the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown, a leaping touchdown catch is made, and the Packers have won, unbelievable. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. 
This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.